You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. ISIS claims responsibility for Kabul massacre. Huawei gets another temporary reprieve. Local governments in Texas sustain ransomware attacks. Google cuts a data sharing service. Smartphones could be used to carry out acoustic side channel attacks. And Hy-Vee warns of a point of sale breach. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Tamika Smith sitting in for Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, August 19, 2019. ISIS claimed responsibility for a suicide massacre that killed 63 people at a wedding in Kabul on Saturday. The attack targeted Shiites in the western part of the city and occurred just before the country celebrated its 100th Independence Day on Monday. According to CBS News, the group posted a statement on one of its websites saying the attack was carried out by a Pakistani IS fighter. Huawei has been granted another 90-day reprieve to continue maintaining its equipment and providing updates for its phones. U.S. Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross made the announcement Monday morning on Fox Business. He said the extension was meant to allow rural companies in the U.S. to what he called wean themselves off. At the same time, Ross also announced that the Commerce Department is adding 46 more Huawei subsidiaries to its entity list. Officials in Texas announced that 23 state agencies sustained a coordinated ransomware attack on Friday, August 16th. ZDNet says the ransomware that was used does not have an official name, but it's being called the .jse ransomware after the file extension it appends to encrypted files. It's a relatively obscure strain of malware that was first seen in August of 2018. The Dallas Morning News reports that the state is responding with a multi-agency task force led by the Texas Department of Information Resources. The FBI and the Department of Homeland Security are also involved. Authorities believe a single threat actor is behind the attacks. Meanwhile, the state of Georgia is stepping up its efforts to train government employees following numerous attempted ransomware attacks against government departments last month. The Georgia Sun reports that Governor Kemp has added more members of his administration to the state government system cybersecurity board, which is tasked with creating mandatory cybersecurity training programs. A major question many in the cybersecurity field would like answered is centered around bug bounties. 
The CyberWire's Dave Bittner reports on the dynamics between the companies who are offering them and the folks that are going after them. He talks with Benoit, who's the chief security officer at Redox. I've probably been working with bug bounties for about the last five to eight years, and I've definitely seen a change from they were they were very much just in the technology scene. They were for smaller organizations, startups, and things like that. And now you're certainly starting to see larger organizations or established organizations start to adopt these types of practices, ones that would ordinarily have never thought about doing this type of activity because they would have considered it far too risky. Uh, folks in finance and, and now in healthcare as well. We're definitely seeing more adoption and this becoming much more mainstream, I would say. And it also... We're actually starting to see the rewards more accurately reflect the, the type of value these kinds of bugs have. You're seeing organizations offering rewards in, in the tens or in some cases even hundreds of thousands of dollars, which really makes it worth that investment on behalf of the researcher to be spending the time to, to find these unique and interesting vulnerabilities in software. Now, when you say that organizations previously would have found it too risky, what do you mean by that? There is always a level of risk that, that you're exposing yourself to, depending on the type of data that your system is using or the type of processing you're doing. I think a lot of folks are, are always hesitant sometimes to potentially expose that. You don't want that information to be unnecessarily exposed, and you don't want even a well-meaning person to accidentally break a system. I think a lot of industries have kind of struggled with figuring out the right balance between supporting a program like this and getting the security value from it versus ensuring at the same time that, that they're protecting the systems from a potential even accidental uh, failure or abuse. Now, wouldn't it have been the case that, that um, regardless of whether or not the organizations were supporting bug bounties, there were going to be folks poking around anyway out of curiosity, and I suppose those folks might not have had an avenue to report things if they wanted to do so in a proper manner? Absolutely, and that's probably been my personal opinion for the longest time. I believe that regardless of what you say, people are going to poke at your application. And I do think that the real value that a bug bounty brings is it gives those people a safe way to do that. And they're not opening themselves up to legal prosecution. And so you end up ultimately being more informed about security problems because you don't have people afraid to report issues. And at the same time, they're able to to do a testing and follow instructions in a certain way that reduces that risk of something going wrong. For example, within our bug bounty, we ensure that we give researchers explicit instructions about how to go about testing safely so that they are only interacting with parts of the system that, that can't, if things go wrong, actually impact a real production hospital or things, or things like that. So you have the opportunity there for the bug bounty itself to incentivize the folks who are out there looking for these things to do so in a safe and responsible way. Absolutely. If, especially if they follow the instructions that you put together. And that's why it's critical that you spend the time working on what your scope is and what your instructions are to these researchers to ultimately help them ensure that they don't end up putting themselves or yourself in hot water. Now, what are some of the specific issues that folks are up against when it comes to bug bounties in the healthcare sector? In healthcare? We deal with PHI, and so there are a significant number of regulations around dealing with that type of data, and for good reasons, in my personal opinion as well. One of the examples that I like to use is when it comes to my information and my data, if my banking credentials are exposed, even if I lose money because someone steals out of my bank account, I can recover that funds, 
I can potentially change out those credentials. With this healthcare data or PHI, I can't change that. If that data is exposed, it's out there forever. I can't go and change that. And that's why this type of data within, within the black market has such a value attached to it. Now, what are your recommendations for organizations that may want to start implementing a bug bounty program? How do they get started? How do they go about it? The first thing is to be ready. Uh, even if you're working with an outsourced provider like HackerOne or BugCrowd, there is a lot of overhead that you need to be prepared for. I'd probably say, and I'd say this is consistent with everyone who I speak to who's run one of these programs, the signal to noise ratio is very large you're probably going to be dealing with, I'd say 95% of the issues that are filed are just noise or they're duplicates or they're minor things that have been called out. So it takes a lot of time to, to work through all of that noise and figure out what is actually, well, what's the signal? What are the real issues that we need to investigate and be aware of? And I think that's the same across all industries. The second thing I would say is, again, spend the time working out what your scope is and how you're providing instructions and details to researchers about how they should go about testing your platform. We're also not a SaaS, as your standard kind of SaaS application. And so that means that it's not just throwing the basic sort of like web application tests at us, which is, I'd say the, I'd say the same from a lot of companies out there. And so you need to really help folks understand what the platform is, how it works, what are the nuances with your particular application or system that will give you more meaningful tests uh, from these folks. That was Ben Wah, who's the chief security officer at Redox. Reuters says that Google terminated a service it had offered mobile carriers as a means of testing their network coverage. The company's mobile network insight service had since 2017 offered carriers data collected from Android users who'd opted into sharing location and performance data. Although the program was organized on a transparent opt-in basis and the data it collected were both anonymized and aggregated, Google apparently decided that mobile networks' insights exposed the company to more regulatory risk than it wished to accept. Krebs on Security describes how cyber criminals hide their tracks by renting out bulletproof residential VPN services. Residential IP addresses are ideal for criminal activities because they're usually trusted by businesses and they periodically rotate between users. The use of residential connections to anonymize traffic is nothing new, but it's usually achieved by hacking a device on a residential network and using it as a proxy. In this case, Krebs discovered an Internet provider that rented out these addresses for primarily fraudulent use. The Maryland-based company called Residential Networking Solutions, or ResNet, maintained a block of nearly 70,000 IP addresses. ResNet and several affiliated websites sold access to residential proxies for a monthly fee. They also advertised various types of spamming and botting services. About 7,000 of these IPs belonged to AT&T until late last year. Krebs discovered that the nonprofit that administered these addresses had apparently been tricked by someone posing as AT&T into transferring control of the IP block over to ResNet. It's not clear if AT&T had any connection to ResNet, but the mobile provider told Krebs it had referred the incident to law enforcement. Science Daily and other sources say that researchers at Southern Methodist University have developed a proof of concept in which smartphone sensors could record the sounds of keystrokes on nearby laptops, enabling eavesdroppers to capture and interpret those keystrokes. The technique does not seem to represent an immediate threat, 
but the researchers suggest it should raise awareness of the risk inherent in always-on sensors, like those in smartphones. ZDNet reports that the Midwestern supermarket chain Hy-Vee is warning its customers to keep an eye on their bank accounts after the company discovered unauthorized activity on some of its point-of-sale systems. The activity affected some of Hy-Vee's fuel pumps, drive through coffee shops and restaurants. The company did not specify which locations were involved, but says the activity has been stopped. Hy-Vee does not believe its grocery stores, drug stores or convenience stores were impacted. The company notes that its investigation has just begun and more information will be forthcoming. And finally, TASS is authorized to disclose that Russia's sport minister sees a good chance that cybersports will be added to the Olympics in 15 to 20 years. Minister Kolobkov appears to have video games in mind, not capture the flag competitions. Olympians, this is the moment you've been waiting on. Get ready to practice your Fortnite dance. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute and also my co-host on the Hacking Humans podcast. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. Uh, Last week, you and I spoke about um, my musings about whether or not organizations should basically force their users to use a password manager but also not allow them to choose their own passwords. Correct. Have those passwords be generated so that they are strong and random. Yes. Right? Uh, and we both sort of joked about how we would likely receive feedback from our listeners, <laughs> yes. and they came through. Right. Yep. <laughs> Did not disappoint. <laughs> no, no. So uh, I want to read uh, part of what uh, one listener sent in. This is a, a particularly good one. This is from someone uh, who goes by the name Jay, and he says, um, 
Dave and Joe had a great conversation about password managers and not allowing corporate users to choose their own passwords anymore. It's a great idea, but I'd like to offer another viewpoint. To stop users from choosing their own passwords, you need to do a lot more than enforce rules in the password manager. You need to be able to enforce that password policy on each of the identity stores slash authentication mechanisms the user is connected to. Turns out this is really tough. Mm-hmm. So let's let's address that part okay. here. I, I think he's got a good point here. Right. Because there's no way for me to know that the uh, that the user is actually using a password from a password manager from the authentication mechanism in question. Right. Right. So if your user wants to go rogue right. and use their own password, it's hard for you to control that. Right, exactly. You can't really you can't really mitigate that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he goes on and writes, I think the better approach is to invest the energy in true SSO, that's single sign-on. Right. It's matured a lot in recent years. Enforce MFA to log into the endpoint or at least have risk-based step-up authentication. SSO using those credentials so the users only have to remember one long, complex password to log into the endpoint and then SSO to everywhere. Correct. Hmm. Okay. So uh, this is this is true. First off, you're 100% correct about multi-factor authentication. Enforce that. Mm-hmm. Do that, and that that actually is what my number one suggestion is now. Password managers are my number two suggestion. If you're going to do one thing to improve your security, use multi-factor authentication. Mm-hmm. If you're going to do two things, use multi-factor and a password manager. Mm-hmm. Uh, single sign-on is great because it does a couple of things. One, it allows the user to frictionlessly move throughout their their services that they need to move through, mm. right? They don't have to continually log in and, and coming right. from a perspective where I am not really in a domain right now at my at my job, I have to log into everything manually. Mm-hmm. It's still kind of a pain. Yeah, right? little speed bumps. Yeah, in your little day. speed bumps here and there. Right. That the other point that I would like to make about this is single sign-on is not going to be a full solution for this. There are going to be other places that are not going to integrate with your single sign-on solution that your users need to go to. And I'm thinking in particular like uh, third-party websites where your users may need to go to look things up mm-hmm. or to use software that's necessary for their job or even cloud services that may integrate with your SSO or may not. They may not integrate with it. In that case, what do you do? You have to make sure that their passwords are good uh, and that they're using multi-factor authentication. Mm-hmm. And in order to make sure their passwords are good, you have to use a password manager. Right. So right. I, I think I think his his suggestions here are right on, and he has in this thing he says uh, passwords needed to be killed a long time ago, and as much as I talk about passwords, I couldn't agree more with that <laughs> statement. <laughs> I don't think we're going to be stuck with passwords forever. Hmm. I think I think it's uh, it's it's getting closer to the time where we're going to be able to get rid of them, like Jay says, and uh, I, I welcome that time because I'll tell you, just having a simple password on your on any account, it's just asking to be hacked. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, thanks to Jay for writing this in. Uh, a very uh, thoughtful response and uh, made us think a little more about this. Yeah, Jay uh, makes some a lot really of good points. Good suggestions. Thanks, Jay. All right. Well, Joe, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure, Dave. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. 
And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Hi, everybody. It's Maria Varmazas here, your host over at T-Minus Space Daily, and sometimes a guest on Hacking Humans, too. We here at N2K CyberWire work hard to bring you concise, intelligence-driven news and commentary, and we'd like to know how we're doing. Please take a few minutes to complete our audience survey and share your feedback to help us continue to grow and meet your needs. Visit cyberwire.com slash survey. That's cyberwire.com slash survey to get started. Thanks so much for your input as we reach for the stars. It means the universe to us. And now a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.